Well, this morning uh, we have a privilege uh, to, well, to not to hear from me uh, and to hear from Tyler Easley, who uh, has been a pastor for a long time, who is actually was an interim pastor here before I arrived. Uh, and so he will be preaching this morning out of Luke. Uh, and it's just been uh, such a gift to me to be able to just be with the community this morning and to, to focus on CityServe that we uh, culminated uh, just yesterday. So I'm thankful for his uh, willingness to come and preach for us this morning. Uh, his wife is Kendi Easley, who is the executive pastor for all of Bethany. Uh, and so as a joke, we call uh, Tyler the, the first husband uh, because of his, well, okay, well, I thought that was funny, funnier. Uh, so, at this time, uh, let me just pray for our time this morning and pray for Tyler. Tyler, wants you come on up and let's pray for him. God, thank you so much uh, for Tyler and um, his pastoral heart, uh, his giftedness in preaching. And so, God, may you speak uh, in and through him that we may hear from you and you alone. Uh, and we will be grateful for that. And may we be transformed by the words uh, of, your, of your scripture. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Prentice said, I, I've been a pastor a long time. That's a, a, another way of saying, this dude's like really old. Um, but uh, no, good to be with you. And uh, I was going to say, if I look sort of vaguely familiar to some of you, I was that transition guy between Shawnee and uh, Prentice. And Prentice, is that like two years? How, how long have you been? Yeah, so like two years ago, time, time kind of flies by, and when I was uh, in that transition period, you were meeting at the community center. So in my mind, when I think of West, I I still think community center, and then I get invited to preach, it's been a couple times in this location, I get here, I think, oh yeah, this is is your new spot that was uh, talked about a lot uh, during that transition time. But uh, great to be with you, and and just... uh, you know, have fellowship together, worship together. Uh, appreciate Prentice asking me uh, to preach. And super excited, actually, when he told me what the text was, namely one of uh, the, the feeding stories, the feeding miracles in the Gospels. Uh, this will, In just a minute, I'll read our passage from Luke, but the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, I like these stories for a couple of reasons. First, and these will actually be the two points of my sermon, if you like to kind of get those things uh, in your head. But I'll, I'll just say a little bit now, read our text, and then say more. But uh, I love the, love the feeding stories, first, because I am just a big fan of food, love food. Grateful for food, enjoy cooking food, enjoy eating food. I'm guessing there are at least a, a, a few out there who, who love food. And I, I don't consider myself a foodie at all. You know, I'm not sort of like uh, real highbrow about it. I just am grateful to God that he did not provide nourishment for us by just giving us some bland product that kept us alive, but... Provided, provides, present tense, provides for us in this way that is so, so like aesthetically and physically enjoyable to have a meal together. And so I love food, and I would argue that the Lord himself is kind of pro-food. Uh, if you think of the creation story and the garden, 
God provides there abundantly for Adam and Eve. When Israel is wandering in the wilderness, remember, uh, manna might slide a little bit to the more bland side of things, but it's like manna and quail, like God cares, God provides. If you read the Old Testament prophets, a lot of the imagery, uh, the, the, the images of God's kingdom and God's blessing entail food, banquets, feasts, abundance. Um, boy, jump to the New Testament, and, and what's, what's that thing we, we share together uh, in worship? Some churches every week, some churches once a month. It's the Lord's Supper. It's a meal that we, we gather around, and right on, uh, kind of like the Old Testament prophets, you get to the end of the New Testament, and the uh, the some of the vision of, of heaven that we, we have there is that of a feast and a, and a banquet. Um, so preachers don't often get to talk about food as one of the points of their sermon, but the door is uh, ajar a little bit with this feeding story. So I'm going to take a few minutes. It's not the main point, but I want to take just a couple minutes after I, I read the text to talk about Food and kind of our physical existence and the ways God provides for us. This physical platform, uh, if you will, uh, that food is very much a part of. And it's on that platform that we then can even consider questions about faith and relationship with God and community with one another. We often sort of jump to that those sort of higher order things and, uh, you know, maybe it's just me, but I would ask, I mean, do we hear many sermons about that more basic level of life, just our physical existence, that physical platform on which all the cool kind of spiritual stuff happens? But So I'm going to take um, just a minute to talk about that. But then secondly... Uh, as we consider this feeding story, and it, it's really more the the main point of the text, to be totally honest, like I'm stretching things a little bit to make that first food point. Uh, I just want to. I mean, I'm a guest preacher. I can kind of, it's a one-off, you know. I mean, what's Prentice going to do, fire me? Um, but the, the second point, it's really, it really is the legit main point of the feeding story is I want to look at the story um, as, as a miracle that's kind of aimed at building or increasing or developing the, the faith of the 12, the 12 disciples. And I'm not just sort of pulling this out of the air. I'm basing it on another text. It's in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, and they're just not getting it, as was often the case with the 12. I mean, they were with Jesus 24-7, but it just as you read the Gospels, especially, well, you know, throughout the Gospels, the, and we're so grateful for the disciples, I think, for this reason, they so often don't get it. They don't understand what's going on. And this one instance in uh, the boat with Jesus, again, they're not getting it. And Jesus says to them, are you still not getting it? Do you still not perceive 
I fed the 5,000, and there were baskets left over. I fed the 4,000, and there were baskets left over. Do you still not understand? So I'm using that story, and I'll, I'll say a little bit more about it, but I'm using that story for this angle on uh, the miraculous feedings as really aimed at the 12. The, the 5,000 people are blessed with food, but it seems that Jesus is trying to teach disciples something through those miracles, through that miracle. So that will be, uh, that will be my second point. So again, if you're a structure, outline, point person, point one, we're going to talk a little bit about food and the blessing of food that God has given us. Uh, point two, we're going to talk about faith and what it was that Jesus expected the 12 to learn Referencing back to that story in the boat when he said, do you still not perceive? Do you still not get it? What was it that Jesus was wishing they would get? So that will be the second point. But let me read our text this morning. I, uh, I use the English Standard uh, Version um, I think if we put the scripture up, this will be new, Amer- uh, new, new Revised Standard. It's pretty good. English Standard, I think it's a, just a notch better, but that's my, that's my, my bias. But uh, you'll, if, if, yeah, there we go. It'll sound pretty similar. So this is uh, from Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 10. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to Jesus and said, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And Jesus said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Uh, Let's join our hearts in prayer. And so, Father, as we consider together this morning this reading of Scripture, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Open our minds and our hearts to the truth of your word uh, in a way that um, causes our lives to be different. 
and for us to trust you more. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, so first point, my, my food point, this feeding uh, miracle, as an example of the Bible's, I would say, positive and balanced take on our physical existence. Again, my second point, you know, if I'm totally honest, is the ma- more the main point, the faith point is the main point of this scripture, but I just can't pass up saying uh, a few words about food and, and this physical platform that we live our lives uh, live our lives on. So in the text, the crowds are hungry, and initially the disciples, of course, uh, have only five loaves and two fish and see no way that uh, Jesus can feed them, but he takes what they have, gives thanks for it, and multiplies it and feeds the hungry crowds. So when hearing about the hunger present... These 5,000 folks who haven't had a meal on meal all day, Jesus fed them. Note what he didn't say. That maybe conceivably he, he, he might have said. He could have said something like, Jeepers, can't you forget about your stomachs just for a few hours? I mean, we're doing some serious spiritual teaching here. Or he could have said, you know... Uh, Fasting is quite spiritually efficacious. And can you just hold on a minute and sort of exercise a little intermittent fasting here while I finish my lesson? He doesn't do anything like that. Upon hearing of their hunger, he feeds them. He gives them food to eat. And I thought of the text last week, assuming, Prentice, you preached on this too, uh, the healing of the woman who for 12 years, was this the text you guys used? Issue of blood, and then the 12-year-old girl, and as Jesus is delayed with the woman, folks come from where the 12-year-old girl is, and, say, and they say, don't bother the teacher anymore, she's, she's passed away. Jesus heads to where she is, heals her, and the first thing he says is what? Give her something to eat. It's like that. He's brought her back to life, and his concern is that she have something to eat. In Luke's gospel, right after the road to Emmaus story, so it's resurrection material, Jesus risen from the dead, uh, there's that whole road to Emmaus deal, and then he shows up uh, to the frightened uh, disciples, risen Lord Jesus Do you know what the first thing he says to them is? Do you guys have any food? Do you have anything to eat? Um, Acts chapter 27, Paul on this ship that's taking him to Rome. Paul is a prisoner. Um, And they're in a terrible storm. The ship's about to go down day and night. And Paul's a a prisoner on this ship. And his his captors and the crew are trying to keep the ship afloat. And Paul says to them, um, hey, you guys really should have something to eat. And I just like it that these comments about having something to eat show up in sort of unlikely 
places in the resurrection story with the little girl who's healed on this ship that's about to go down. It's a positive view of our need for food. Um, And I would say food is one of a handful of appetites or needs that's like intrinsic, absolutely necessary to our physical well-being and existence. I would add sleep. I would add a sense of community and connection. I would add uh, sexuality as part of this mix. And it can sound almost unspiritual or mundane, but I actually think these, these matters are super important and that we should keep them connected to the life of faith. In other words, we don't want to split off these physical realities from our sense of relationship with God and the truth of the gospel. God created these things, cares about these things, and wants to provide for, give her something to eat, wants to provide for our physical needs. I would say God is pro-food, pro-community, pro-rest, pro-sex, within the covenant relationship of marriage. Now, can sin mar all of these things? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the physical reality of life now, right? Our normal and healthy desire for food can become gluttony, one of the seven deadly sins. Our normal and healthy sexual desire can become a lust or manipulative of other people. Um, so all of these these physical aspects of our humanity are and certainly can be distorted by, by sin. But let's not, as I've already said, therefore split, split it off from our understanding of our humanity and what it means to be in relationship with God. And so let's eat our food. Let's eat with grateful hearts. Because God has provided, ultimately, God has provided that food. Let's generously share with others. Acts chapter 2, this beautiful picture of the early church. And what are they doing, among other things? They're breaking bread together in their homes. So I'm about to move on, but let, let me check for understanding. I'm trying to make a positive case for some of these more mundane physical realities. God cares about them. They don't sound super spiritual, but God cares about that aspect of our lives, the basic physical platform on which we exist and then are in relationship with God. And we want to make sure the whole organism, if you will, is, is sort of integrated in a way that honors God and, and blesses us. So that's my, fir- my first point, my pro-food point. Um, and I don't mean to be making anybody hungry if, like, if you miss breakfast. <laughs> you're thinking, yeah, actually, I'm thinking about leaving during the prayer and getting, getting some food. Um, But second point, and really the more main point of our text, this miracle aimed at, I believe, building the disciples' faith. 
already referenced it, Matthew chapter 16, um, Jesus in the boat, disciples not getting it, not understanding, and Jesus references the feedings, feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, the baskets picked up, right? Jesus references that and says to the 12, do you still not understand? Do you still not understand? Understand what, we would want to ask. Here's what I think Jesus is getting at. Understand who Jesus is and how Jesus can do amazing things through them and us. I love the 12 baskets that our uh, teaching team on Monday. Uh, I, I mentioned this. I don't know if anybody else thought it was totally cool. I, I love it that there are 12 baskets left over. And here's my theory. Each di- later, when, after the crowds left, each disciple got a basket. And like on a retreat, have you ever been on a retreat where the leader will send everybody off for some kind of exercise or to go do something, go journal or think? Or I'm imagining, this isn't in the scripture, I'm imagining Jesus took a few minutes and said, okay, Remember, you had five loaves of bread and two fish. Couldn't feed, not enough to feed this big crowd. And now they're all fed and satisfied. I, w- I would like Jesus talking. I would like each of you 12 to take a basket and just go off for a few minutes and think about what's just happened. Think about uh, what Jesus has, has just done. You thought your resources were laughably inadequate. Five loaves, two fish. Through Jesus and the blessing of the Father, leftovers, leftovers. More than enough to do what Jesus called them to do. And so here's my, my main point this morning. And if you're that kind of person, I know, I, and I'm this way sometimes, you sort of drift off during a sermon, you're thinking about other stuff. Bring it back in. For the, This is the main point. If you have this point, you can feel like I got the main point of the sermon, even though I was thinking about the lawn uh, yard work I need to do later. Here's, here's the main point. In our discipleship, in the life of faith, in the ministry that God calls us to, it's all about what Jesus can do, not about what I can't do. Let me just say that again. In the life of faith, in our service, in our ministry, It's all about what Jesus can do, not about what I can't do. New Testament faith is trusting that Jesus can take whatever we have and accomplish what he wants to accomplish. These stories, these feeding stories, and I would say all the miracles are examples or particular embodiments of 
an affirmation that we hear in the New Testament on multiple occasions, namely, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. With God, the virgin becomes pregnant. With God, the dead person comes back to life. With God, the lost person is found. The broken made whole. The hopeless, hope filled. This is the lesson, I believe, Jesus was wanting the disciples to learn. That in and through him, it's not about the limits of my resources. It's about the unlimited power of Jesus Christ and what he wants to accomplish. All things are possible. Nothing impossible. I tend to think of this as like operational faith. I think there are at least a couple kinds of faith in the New Testament. Uh, There's first that like basic trust in Jesus, uh, life, death, resurrection of Jesus that cleanses me from my sin, reconciles me to God. Saving faith, we might call it saving faith, Ephesians 2, faith, for by grace you've been saved through faith, Uh, you know, I don't know your stories, but often folks will have a, a kind of a, a moment or a season where there's a, I, I've decided to follow Jesus. I want to say yes to Christ. I want to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Super important, totally like for that, <laughs> those experiences. I say yes to what Jesus has done on my behalf to be reconciled to God, saving Saving faith. And then, secondly, I'd say there's what we see in our passage and what Jesus was looking for in the 12. Faith is a way to live life with the reality of God and God's power operationally present. It's kind of an open system way of thinking. You know, so often we view life and things as sort of a closed system cause effect. There is that reality, but I think through faith in Christ, we, we say yes to the possibility of God breaking into that cause-effect reality in just a remarkable way. I, I'll, I'll personalize it, but I'm actually thinking we, but I'll, I'll say I, I way too easily fixate on the five loaves and the two fish. And I say there's just not enough. Can't be done. Don't have the resources. Impossible. The discipleship and faith lesson Jesus is teaching is those five loaves and two fish in Jesus' hands become food for 5,000 people. I wrestled with how to sort of land uh, this message and, and make it applicable and practical. Um, I wrestled because each of our circumstances are so different. And 
I don't, I, you know, I don't know you as Prentice does or, you know, as a pastor, so I'm sort of, I'm sort of guessing. Um, but I came up with a, a couple of questions to maybe make the more practical connection here. And uh, I can no longer, I can't see the clock. How are we doing time-wise? Okay, okay. Um, I don't want to break any norms, you know. Um, preach on. Oh, I like that guy. Um, but two, two questions. I, so I put these two questions out to, out to you. And time allowing, we may have at the end just a little bit of reflection time here. But here, here are my two questions that I, I'm asking myself, and I, I put these out for you to ask yourselves too. First question, am I prayerfully open to what God wants to do in and through me where I live my life each day? In other words, in my five-slash-two life, the five loaves, the two-fish life, that I think all of us feel, yeah, that's, that's kind of my life. Are we prayerfully asking, what does Jesus want to do in and through that life? Am I open to what he wants to do? That's the first question. And second question is, what resources do I have that the Lord might multiply for his glory and his ministry? What resources do I have? So let me just say a little more about each of these, and then we'll, we'll wrap things up. A- am I prayerfully open to what God wants to do in and through me, where I live my life each day? And I think of this as the, you know, the salt of the earth principle Jesus references in uh, Matthew chapter 5. It's so cool, I think, that this is a global deal, but it's uh, everywhere. You, you're spread out all over the place. Whatever you're doing tomorrow, I'm guessing it's not sitting in the pew there, right? It's, we're, we're, like, we're like all over the place. And we know that God loves people. We know that. The scripture's clear on that. God loves people. And God desires all people to be saved, to be in relationship with him. And sometimes it's the case that folks just kind of wander into church. Uh, you know, they'll just decide they want to go to church, and they come to us. But I think the better strategy is this <clears throat> kind of Salt of the earth strategy where God's people are out there everywhere living life but prayerfully open to how God might work through them to make a difference, to make an impact uh, where they are. You're, let's say, a school teacher, you're a stay at home parent, you're unemployed, you're a manager of some sort, you're a tech person, you know, whatever it is. Wherever we are is the arena in which God wants to bring glory to himself and carry out ministry. I was thinking of the fact that one of the uh, really dynamic aspects of the Protestant Reformation was making that shift I just described there. Uh, At the time of the Protestant Reformation, so this is like the 1500s, Vocation had been reduced to what priests and monks had. 
So if you received a vocation, it's what you did when you went off to the monastery or joined the priesthood. And the reformers made a, just a great biblical New Testament move. They said, no, everybody has a calling. Everybody has a vocation. It's not just the monk or the priest. It's the, do you remember this central teaching? It's the priesthood of all believers. All are called. Are all pastors? No. But all are called to be salt, to be light. And wherever you're going to be tomorrow, and I don't think any of us are exempt from this, wherever you're going to be tomorrow, that is the arena in which the Lord wants to bring glory to himself and blessing to people. The only question is, are we open to that? Are we open to that? Or are we so sunk in kind of that five-slash-two thing that we just don't think it's possible? That's a, a question to, to ponder. I'd love for you to do that. And then uh, the second question, what resources do I have that the Lord might bless and multiply for his glory, for his ministry? Remember, Jesus blessed and multiplied what the disciples had. They said, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus said, okay, let me have it. And looked to the heavens, gave thanks, blessed, and multiplied it. He didn't make food for the 5,000 out of nothing, out of thin air. He took what they had and multiplied it. This operational faith I'm focusing on, I would say, believes that Jesus can take who I am and what I have and multiply it in a way that blesses others richly. It's akin to, I would argue, it's akin to what a spiritual gift is, where God takes some natural talent or ability but sort of blesses and multiplies in a way that brings spiritual blessing to other people. Uh, ever since my wife, Kendi, uh, started working at Bethany, I think it's about three years, something like that, three years or so, uh, every, you know, periodically, semi-regularly, I'm in worship at, at Green Lake. And Richard Dahlstrom, and I have no sense of whether everybody sitting here knows Richard or you're thinking, who? Anyway, he's like the preaching pastor at Green Lake. Uh, and it's been a blessing for me to listen to Richard preach and teach. So I, would, I would say super gifted. I, I just get tons out of Richard's sermons. But here, here's what I want to illustrate. I think if you extracted the Holy Spirit from Richard and any gifting of God... So just left the, like the natural Richard Dahlstrom. He'd probably be a pretty good like college philosophy or English professor. You know, he's real bright. He has a great brain word connectivity, which not everybody has. He can speak well. He's energetic. He's funny. He has a lot of, you know, dynamism. He could probably be a pretty good 
let's say, English professor at a, at, at a college. What God has done, though, and this is what I'm getting at here. So that's what Richard is. Then I would argue through the Holy Spirit and through Richard's openness to what God wants to do, God takes that natural talent and kind of multiplies it in a way that brings spiritual blessing to people. It's not just, it's not Richard. It's not five slash two Richard, as talented as he is. It's God taking that five and two and multiplying it. And I would say we all are and have some sort of 5-2 dynamic. Are we open to God blessing and multiplying that for ministry? To sum up, final paragraph. Whatever our life situation, whoever we are, Faith believes that Jesus can bless people through us. Whatever our life situation, whoever we are, faith, operational faith, believes that Jesus can bless people through us. Imagine the ministry impact. All God's people everywhere seeing their daily life, life as it is, that 5-2 existence that is all of our lives, as the arena in which the Lord can do amazing things. So I'm thinking back to Jesus with the disciples in the boat and him saying, do you still not get it? Do you still not get it? I just pray, I pray for us that we, that we get it, that we, that we see that God can take the five slash to you and bless people through you. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Father, please uh, apply this scripture uh, this, this story of Jesus uh, to our lives, to our hearts, our minds this morning. Increase our faith. We are so much like those disciples. We so often just don't get it. Help us to get it. Help us to see that with God, all things are possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.